They say three of the most disruptive things for a person to go through in life are a job change, a move, and a new child. This month's guest had two of those three things happen on the same day that his first single went to number one, which I think is a fair substitute for moving. I'm Tom Maley, and this is Write You a Song. Thank you for checking out the podcast. If you're new to it, go back through the archives. There are so many A-list songwriters who've been kind enough to share their stories. If you're an aspiring songwriter or just a creative person in general, these folks will literally change how you look at the creative process for the better. Drew Parker's country music dream didn't initially include being a hit songwriter for other artists. He wanted to be the artist. And having seen him at our radio station's annual Country in the Park Festival here in Sacramento, I can tell you he belongs on the stage just as much as he does in the writing room. But a chance meeting early in his music career with a guy named Luke Combs kind of changed his trajectory a little. And I don't think he minded it one single bit. Drew Parker, now on Write You a Song. Welcome, Drew Parker, to Write You a Song. It's great to have you on, one of uh, one of the hotter songwriters in Nashville right now. And still kind of a relative. Do you feel like a, a newcomer still to Nashville? Yeah, I mean, part of part of it does. And then I, and then I realize I've been here almost seven years. And um, now I know people that I didn't know when I moved here, like, you know, people that were like more well-known songwriters, much more so than me. Um, when I first got to town and now I'm writing songs with those. So part of that kind of makes it feel like I've been here longer too. So, uh, but yeah, I still feel like a newcomer. I mean, I'm still, still, still busting my butt like a newcomer. That's for sure. Um, I I do want to hit you with a a pretty uh, important question right off the bat. And, um, you've, um, I'm sure been asked about it before. Um, I just want you to be as, uh, as straight up with this as possible on, um, May 22nd, uh, you tweeted, and I quote, mayonnaise and pineapple sandwiches are an unknown delicacy. Do you still stand by that? Absolutely. Absolutely, 100%. I'm telling you, I don't know what it is, but there is something fantastic. About <laughs> I, I, I know it's hard to believe, hard to believe. I get it. It sounds disgusting. I know a lot of people don't like, I know a lot of people don't like mayonnaise, but I, I absolutely love mayonnaise. Uh I mean, I'm not like going to eat it out of the jar or anything, but like, uh, <laughs> I'm with I you. Like a, I love I mayonnaise. Like a sporting event. There's like a sporting event or something. Like if you win, you like eat mayonnaise. It might be like a NASCAR race or something. Ah, um, I don't want to win that race because uh, I, I I'm think not doing that. I think that like mayonnaise to me, it's like pickles. Like I don't think I'm ever just going to eat a pickle for the fun of it, but I'm always going to have them on my burgers. I think mayonnaise is like God's own condiment, you know, but the Drew. Listen, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. I think so. I'll tell you the first time I had it, uh, I had gone to this family reunion for my wife. Me and my wife had like, maybe we had just started dating or something. And it was like an Easter get together or like, so just maybe like a Saturday cookout or something. And her dad made mayonnaise and pineapple sandwiches. And they were like, he like you know, cut out, cut them in like little circles. And it was like the little circle pineapple uh, holes or whatever. And then like circle sandwiches and mayonnaise and pineapple. And he, you know, he made some without mayonnaise on them, but he made some with mayonnaise. And I'm telling you, the first time I bit into one of those, I was, my life was changed. <laughs> I mean, I could literally talk about it forever. I'm actually really want one right now. And I don't think I have any pineapple here at the house. 
one. That's awesome. All right. I want to talk to you about songwriting, too, believe it or not. Um, we just had you at our country music festival here in Sacramento, Country in the Park. And I think it was the night before you had gotten word that um, your latest song with Luke Combs doing this had just gone to number one. That gives you three number one songs, two with Luke, one with um, Jake Owen. And we were just talking before this got started. You know, uh, I told you, I don't think that feeling is ever going to get old for you. And you were, it, it was so cool to see the smile on your face and just your, your excitement. You could tell when you were telling us about it, that you were, you were like a kid that got the coolest present at Christmas. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's, that's truly what it is, man. I mean, I moved here to, uh, to write songs and sing songs and perform songs. And, um, well, I guess part of that's true. I really didn't move here to write songs. I had no idea what I was doing when I moved here as far as writing songs go, but we can dig into that. But I mean, it, it, it truly is astounding. And especially now that I'm like an artist myself and recording music. And I realize how hard it is, first of all, to get a song recorded um, as a songwriter by another artist. Um, and then for them to believe in that song enough and their team to believe in it enough for it to be a radio single. And then, for all the fans that listen to country music radio, for them to believe in it and for it to get to number one, I mean, that is a hard feat. I mean, there's no doubt about it how hard and much magic in a bottle there has to be to create that. And um, I hope that I never get tired of that. I I hope it never gets old. I I hope that I can keep that up. Uh, But I know how hard it is. And, uh, and what's interesting about you, and, and you've shared this story before, you went to Nashville to be a performer. You want to be a performer and a singer. And it was just by a chance meeting with some guy named Luke Combs that you became a songwriter. Up to that point, you had never like written a song or even given songwriting any, consider, uh, any serious consideration? Yeah, I mean, I think I wrote one song when I was still living down in Georgia, and um but I, I, it was like something I had just kind of done and nothing that I really chased. And then I met Luke Combs about eight years ago, back in tw- late uh, late 2014, early 2015, and met him at a bar in Rome, Georgia. I'd got put to open a show for him. And I had been contemplating moving to Nashville, and he had just moved there. And we just kind of hit it off. And, I mean, this is, you know, Luke Combs seven years ago, eight years ago. Right. I mean, nobody knew who he was. There was 40, I think 40 people or so bought a ticket to the show that night. And, uh, we hit it off, became buddies. And he was like, man, you should come to Nashville and let's write some songs. And so for the next nine months, that's what I did. I drove back and forth and wrote songs with him and Ray Fulcher and a bunch of other friends that I have, um, from very early on. And, uh, then nine months after I started that journey, I, I, I officially moved to Nashville, and we all know what happened to Luke. He blew up, and I had my first major label cut. Um, it was one of the first songs I ever wrote when I got to Nashville. A song called "Lonely One" that was on Luke's first record. Um, but it's been a it's, it's been a wild ride. Honey, how's that drink going down? Seems a little stiff for two p.m. Holler if you need anything, I've got an ear to lend. I'll be right here cutting limes, counting cash and stocking beers. I've got an idea what's on your mind, so in the meantime, think on this. 
I've seen girls like you in here before. Watch broken hearts break through that door a time or two. And I bet he packed all his things. You sent out to curse his name and have a few. But yeah, I always wanted to just be on stage and perform and sing. I, I love singing, and uh, I had no idea that that songwriting would kind of be the uh, my gateway to to being able to do that. So yeah, what's what's super interesting, and I mean, you know, it, in hindsight is twenty twenty, and it all seems so obvious now and preordained. But you know, you were like you said, going back and forth. Uh, between Nashville and Georgia for, for, for nine months. And that's when you wrote Lonely One, which is the song you, you, you just referenced that was a, a, a cut on Luke's first album. That was, I believe, the first song that you ever wrote with him. And, and like you said, he didn't have a, a record deal. You'd never even written songs before. There was absolutely no guarantee that this was going to go anywhere. And that back and forth between home and Nashville was going to be for anything other than a really high gas bill. You know? Yeah. I, you That's know, a I, hell of a I leap of faith. I really don't. I like looking back on it. I mean, I, had, I I don't know what the plan was. I I really don't. I, I think it was to use that nine months to meet as many people as I could. Um, but to me, that's the most important part of this entire business is getting to know other songwriters and building those relationships to be able to write with them. And but even then, like I didn't know what I was, you know, planning on doing with those relationships. I didn't know if I was going to move or not. I didn't know. I, I really had no plan other than I wanted to figure out a way to provide for a family one day at that time, um, playing music. And, uh, fortunately things just kind of fell my way and, you know, hard work, uh, I guess hard work kind of meant preparation in, in that aspect of it. And, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's been, it's been crazy, but I, I really don't, I, I mean, this is kind of the first time I've ever even really thought about it. Um, I don't. I don't know what I was thinking, to be honest with you. <laughs> and I've talked to a lot of songwriters on here who have, you know, they they said when you go to Nashville, you can't have a plan B. It's got to be all or nothing. But you actually did kind of have a plan B at the. I think it was a suggestion of your mom. You you actually had kind of a career in the medical field going on um, while you were doing all of this other stuff too. It's just, your, your story is remarkable. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So uh, my mom, she, she really wanted me to go to college and get education. So I did that and I have a, believe it or not, I have a degree in radiology. And um, uh, so when I moved to Nashville, so during that nine months, I was trying to figure out when of, of driving back and forth from Georgia to, Na- Georgia to Nashville. I was working at a hospital back in Georgia, and I was trying to figure out how to get a job in Nashville. I was applying for jobs and just never could. Like I would submit my resume, and I never could even get like a call for an interview. And a buddy of mine told me, he said, hey, man, I think 
what would help is if you put a Nashville address on your resume. Even if you don't live in Nashville, just let these people think you do mm. because they may not be calling you for an interview because your resume says you live in Georgia. And so he was like, you can use my address. And so I don't know if I used his or what, but I ended up putting a Nashville address on my resume. And literally the first resume that I sent with a Nashville address, I got a call for an interview. <laughs> and uh, so I, uh, I, I got the I got the job in Nashville. That was in September of 2015, and that's that's really what got me to move. It's like okay, well now I have a job in Nashville. I have to move, mm-hmm. and so I moved the day before my first shift at the hospital. So I for I guess let's see that was in 2015, and uh, my last day at the hospital was in 2020. So I I worked at that hospital in Nashville for five years, um, and I would write songs during the day and I would work the late shift at night at the hospital and I'd get up and write songs again the next day and work the shift at the hospital and Jeez. I went on for five years. Oh my God. And in that five years, you actually wrote uh, what would become your first number one. And then you had a wild 36 hours. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I kind of made this deal with my boss um, that whenever I, I had my first number one or any success as a songwriter that I was not going to come back to the hospital. <laughs> and, uh, she was awesome. I mean, literally probably the best boss I've ever had. And, um, anytime I needed to, uh, take off to go on the road and play a show, she was super accommodating and helped me figure out how to, how to make that happen. And she always knew what my main goal was. And so when homemade on, let's see, on March 22nd of 2020, Homemade went number one. And I knew I was working on the, that next day, the Monday. And I told her, I was like, hey, tomorrow, I called her on Sunday or whatever and said, hey, tomorrow, I'm, it's going to be my last day. I'm not coming back after tomorrow. And uh, what what was cool about it is I was not a full-time employee. I was a part-time employee that worked full-time hours. <laughs> and so um, I was I didn't have to work like a two-week notice or whatever. Um, and I, in this, this time in 2020, I was gearing up to go on tour with Luke Combs. Uh, I was going to open the show. And, uh, so I, I kind of needed to quit anyway, but it, it kind of lined up that I was able to hold me and her were able to hold our promise of, of me not working after I got my first number one. And so on March 22nd, homemade went number one on March 23rd, that Monday, I'm in my bedroom, putting my scrubs on. I'm getting ready to go work my last shift at the hospital. I mean, I was on cloud nine. I mean, first number one, about to quit my day job. I mean, sure. life couldn't get any better. And as as I'm putting on my scrubs in my bedroom, my wife walks in the bedroom, and she uh, she looks at me and tells me she's going to go to work with me, kind of in a joking way. And I'm like, well, why would you do that? And she said, well, um, my water just broke, and I'm in labor right now, and we need to get to the hospital. <laughs> and so uh, – What's funny is we went to the hospital that I was supposed to be working at, but I had to call out. And in a matter of 36 hours, I had my first number one, quit my day job, and became a dad. <laughs> and oh, I my think, God. I think to this day, I, I probably still owe, still owe my boss a, uh, a shift, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's, been, it's, it's been fun. Where I grew up getting dressed up means a button-down shirt and a good pair of jeans wasn't Sunday supper without collard greens. Dad was boss, Christ is king, Friday night was living for them life.
lights come on then I turn to Miller lights when I turn 21 there's some things about me that I can't change I'll always be the man that Sam Tiotti, get a hold of that story and, and have you go back and, and cover your last shift. Yeah, yeah, that'd be, that'd be nice. <laughs> so at that time, 2020, you'd been in Nashville at that point, five years, maybe, maybe six years. How many songs had you amassed by that time before Homemade for Jake Owen uh, rose up to the to the top of the chart? Because like you said, you'd been writing constantly. Um, any idea? I mean, I'd say in the ballpark of five or six hundred mm-hmm. yes if i had to guess i really don't know uh, that would be that'd be the number i would go with somewhere between five and six hundred at that time um but there's nothing like like your first number one i mean it was what a i mean i i, I slept on the most miserable hospital bed the entire week that i was celebrating my first number one <laughs> while the world was while the world was completely shut down, it was a, I mean, it was a weird time in my life. I mean. Oh, that's right. The I, pandemic was going pandemic, on, too. The pandemic was just shutting yeah. everything down, right? It was, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It sure was. And which was a great time to stop working at a hospital. I mean, it was, it was perfect <laughs> for that. Uh, but, uh, I mean, you know, it, it was crazy. Again, it, it kind of goes back to, I don't know what I was thinking because here I am, a new dad deciding to quit the job that he's had that's been providing for the family uh, and just quit my job with a, with a new baby and the world shutting down again. I, I've made some, I mean, they've all worked out, but they, they kind of seem like terrible decisions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But again, they've all worked out. It, it is amazing though. And I think sometimes we forget, you know, that, that there are a lot of uncertain moments you know, uh, when you look back on your life in different directions and uh, things that could have happened, and it, it's it's pretty amazing that you had, I don't know, the stubbornness, the belief in yourself, um, it, all of that maybe wrapped together to, to keep going. And and that's what fascinates me about anybody that, you know, pursues a, a career in, in performing arts, whether it's on the stage or, you know, in the writing room. It just, uh, God, you have to have such a... a an amount of belief in yourself and a belief in your dreams just to even get going. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and you know, like, you know, thinking about all that, I mean, I think that, you know, me kind of putting that pressure on myself is kind of what makes you work even harder. Mm -hmm. Um, At least for me, like, you know, knowing that now I wasn't going to be working at the hospital or, uh, you know, that income wasn't going to be coming in. And so it just kind of makes yourself work a little harder and um, to, to chase the next one. And, you know, that's, that's always, that's always what you're doing. Even, I mean, from the time you get done writing a song, I mean, from the time I wrote homemade, whatever was going to happen was out of my hands at that point, whether the song ever even got cut or not, that was out of my hands. I, the song had been written. 
Um, and that goes for all the songs that, that I've ever written, uh, forever after all and doing this included, like once you write it, there's nothing else as the songwriter that you can do. Um, your job is done and it's all in the hands of, of everyone else at that point. And, um, so I, you know, it just kind of keeps you working and, and chasing the next one. Right. And, and during this time while you were writing, let's not forget your original goal was to be a performer and a singer. And were you ever like worried that maybe that would get, because you, you performed a country in the park, our, our show, and you did great. And you've been out on tour with Luke Combs and, and you're, you're a fun live act and you have a hell of a voice. Um, but was there any point where you were maybe a little bit worried that you weren't going to get the chance to do that because you were being ironically too successful over here or things over on this side of the writing end of things was going too well? I don't think that thought ever crossed my mind. To me, it was the exact opposite. It was like, well, now maybe people can see that Mm. um, I I do know what it takes to write a hit song and, and I can also sing the songs that I write and hopefully I can, you know, be smart enough. Here's the here's the tough part is is making sure I'm smart enough to hold on to hit songs for myself instead of pitching them to other artists. Right. Um, that's been that that is another another job in itself is trying to figure out you know should I keep this for myself or should I pitch this and so um, but I don't think that thought ever crossed my mind um, because I always knew what my main goal was and that was to be on stage performing my own songs myself. And uh, making making a name for myself as an artist. Well, you've got uh, a terrific EP with some great songs. You did hold on to some great songs, and I think the one that really stand there's two that stand out for me. I know the singles like uh, "While You're Gone," which is great. You co-wrote that with with Jameson Rogers, and we want to go over that in a little bit. But I love as far as you're a '90s country guy. You grew up listening to the radio with your dad in the truck. And you can totally hear the influence uh, in your writing and your in your playing and singing style. Um, maybe uh, n- no song is a better example than "Party in the Back." <laughs> that song is great. Well, thanks, man. I you know I I, I love songs that tell a story, um, and I think that's why I love '90s country music. That's why I love country music in general. Um, but. I was so heavily influenced by 90s country. I don't think that's something that I sit down and chase to write something that puts off um, the um, vibe or whatever of 90s country music. It's not something that I sit down and chase. It's just what naturally comes out when I do sit down to write a song or sit down to sing um, because I was so heavily influenced by that. But Party in the Back is one of those that, um, I mean, it's just, the clever wordplay. I'll, I'll never forget where I was when I was driving in my truck, and I was like, "Man, what if you wrote a song called Business in the Front, Party in the Back? What would be the what's the angle where you don't have to write about a, a haircut? You know what I mean?" <laughs> yeah. And so uh, it was like, "Okay, well, what about having a party in the backyard, and and your front yard is just kept super pristine?" And and so I, I thought about it, and I got home and started messing around with it, and I think I wrote a verse and a chorus. And the next day I was writing with Thomas Archer and Ray Fulcher and told them the idea and uh, got those guys to help help me finish it. it I, I knew it was a good idea and I didn't want to mess it up. So that's why I, uh, I I wanted to make sure that there were some other ears on it to, to help me make sure that we got it right. And I feel like we did. Uh, fans have fallen in love with that song and it's, it's just a good uh, 
party drinking song for a, for a live show. My front porch has got new paint and a custom swing. And the way I keep that front lawn, it could pass for a pudding green. My driveway's paved, flower beds made, and this year voted best. But that only tells one half acre of the story. What you see ain't what you get. Behind that private picket fence, I got cornhole and gym bait. Yeah, and I think I remember you telling me uh, at our Country in the Park show that you love uh, song titles that you can you can take and twist uh, into a different meaning. You just referenced it with Party in the Back. And and I think the, the, the song that you um, specifically used as an example to me when we were talking was House Band. Yeah, to me. So House Band to me is, is – that is the, you know – and I'm not trying to pat myself on the back at all by, by saying this, but that to me, that the idea of that song and what it does is the prime example of nineties country music. Um, for one, it's a sad song. I love sad country music and, but using something that you would never think in a way to describe a sad song and, and somebody who's going through something, um, by talking about him listening to the house band. Uh, and, and normally, you know, that would be, He'd be at a bar, you know, listening to the house band. But this guy, he's so sad. He's sitting at home listening to the lonesome sounds of the house because it's dead quiet because the the person that he loves is no longer there. And so that to me is that if I'm not getting up every morning to go write songs and chasing something that clever or that um, good, I, I it's kind of don't get excited about writing songs if I don't if I'm not sh- showing up to chase something that 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 is in that same vein as house band um those are the ones that that definitely keep you going 10 o'clock news on the tv water dripping in the kitchen hitting that metal sink batteries dead in the smoke along Jackin' hand taking slip, missing gears like an old car. I got a front row seat to a sad old song, but ain't choking on smoking some honky tonk. Got a nice cold beer and a few regrets, and a whole lot of hurt I ain't got to yet, cause she's gone and I'm all alone. Here listening to the sound of goodbye while I'm sitting here wishing she was on her way back, but she ain't. Here I am with this damn house band. It's crazy how. Yeah, what's cool about you is you um you're not shy about saying when a, when when a great idea hits you, uh you get excited, you 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 get pumped up, and the story about uh you and Luke and I forget the name of the other writer on Forever After All. 
um, where you guys found a groove with that song. And you talk about you guys were having high five moments while you were writing. It was like, yeah, yeah. this it was you're like yeah. you're bowling and you're rolling another strike, another strike, another strike. Yeah, for that one, you know, I, I particularly remember that the high five moment to me in that song was we wanted to change the last course to make it completely different. And um, when it the when the lyric changes in the last chorus, it's you know they say nothing lasts forever, but they ain't seen us together or the way the moonlight dances in your eyes. And then we changed the lyric to, and I know there'll be that moment. The good Lord calls one of us home and one won't have the other by their side. But heaven knows even that won't last too long because some things last forever after all. So like even in the last course, we're talking about how, you know, eternity in heaven is forever and that you get to even love that person there. Um, which is to me was a, another clever twist that we put in that song. And that was particularly the high five moment that I think um, anytime me, Luke or Rob Williford's talking about that, uh, that, that was the moment that that happened when we, when we thought of that. You know, it's funny. You say the word clever, and I would almost use the word, even even though it's country music, and I hate saying putting it that way, but it's poignant, man. I mean, it's a really thoughtful, yeah. beautiful line. There's a ton of depth to that. That's a that's a great that's a that is a definitely a great word to use. My listen, I'm a redneck. My vocabulary vocabulary ain't that good, <laughs> clever. Just clever clever's where it comes clever clever's what it is to me <laughs> yeah you got a pretty good way with words for being a redneck i'll tell you what uh, um and, and talk about where uh the thought behind doing this came from was that more from luke's perspective or your perspective or were you able to write it with him because you both have had those kinds of moments and you both would be doing this even if neither one of you ever had any success in nashville so that our we sat down to write out at Luke's place. And any time that I've ever written with Luke up until um, about a year ago, any time that I would write with him, um, I would always show up to write a song for him. We never, we never really sat down to write anything for me up until about a year ago. We, we sat down and, and he wanted to, to write a song that might be specifically for me instead of for him. And so, but when we wrote doing this, uh, we had started another idea that I couldn't even tell you what it was, but it just wasn't going great. And then we started talking about, well, maybe we should take a step back and, and, and make sure we're writing the right thing. And um, I think me or Rob asked Luke, was like, man, what's like the most, this was just in conversation. This wasn't even us trying to like come up with a song idea. It was just, um, Luke, what is the, what do you get asked the most in a, in an interview? And, he was like, man, probably what would I be doing if I wasn't like playing country music or chasing a dream? And literally, we just were like, well, let's just write a song about that. Like, 
I'm sure people can relate to that. And so Mm -hmm. we literally started the song. Someone asked me once in in an interview. I mean, we literally just told the story of exactly the things that that have happened to him over and over again, as far as an interview goes. And, um, but, but not only were we telling his story, we were, we were telling mine and we were telling Rob's and, I, what's funny about that song is it's about the music business, but the country music fan found a place to relate, you know, whether you, you know, no matter what you're doing, mm-hmm. whether you're doing radio or you're out, you know, putting up power lines or digging ditches or whatever it may be, being a police officer. Um, that's truly what you were born and destined to do. And, and the country music fan really related to that. Someone asked me once in an interview, what was growing up like? Where'd you go to school? And what would you do if you weren't doing this? I'd be driving my first car in a worn-out dock, trying to make rent with a dead-end job, just making do. Tips in a jar, my guitar in an old bar stool. I think there's also a relatability to a person's dreams, too. Maybe they wanted to be a singer but couldn't do it, and they hear Luke singing it, and, you know, it's like, well, if I can't do it, at least he really appreciates that he is able to. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And I think that's why Luke has been so successful is just the relatability factor, and and he – He's, you know, he's like the country boy's hero, you know, for, or, you know, all, for all the dreamers out there who, who thought maybe, you know, maybe they had a dream, but just never had the chance or, or never really went for it. He is like the guy that did it for them. And, um, he's almost like the, the spokesperson for, you know, just the, the good old dreamer in, in every little small town across America. And I think that's why he's been so relatable and, um, that's why people really fell in love with that song because it was coming from him. I don't know if that song would have worked if I had put it on my record or if I had, or if someone else had cut it because it was so believable coming from Luke Combs. One of the things that, that I think is really cool about your writing style and, and, and Luke's as well. Um, and it's really evident on doing this, but it's evident on other songs too, is you take, you know, uh, again, really poignant or deep kind of ideas and, and you write them so simply and in, in everyday language. And I, my question is, how hard is it to keep a song simple? That's the hardest part of the entire thing. <laughs> it's, you know, it's easy to, to kind of get into a deep, 
a deep thought. Um, but for me, it's you know, if you if you have a hard time as the writer understanding what you're even saying, it might make sense. But like, if you have to think about it and really think about what's being said, how many more people are going to have the same thing? And depending on what the idea is, I mean, sometimes that that is the right move. But like, I've always you know, wanted to make sure that the main message of the song gets across. And so what you, what for me, what you don't want to do is write something so deep and put it in the wrong spot to where they spend, you know, 10, 15 seconds trying to figure out what you just said and where they miss the entire concept of the song. And so I think that's kind of something that's super important um, when writing a, a song like that and you get deep as you, you want to make sure that you keep it simple enough where it's relatable and understandable, but it's okay to get smart or get clever, you know, in, in, in certain spots, but keeping it simple, it can, it can be very, very hard. Uh, While you're gone, which you co-wrote with Jameson Rogers is, is kind of a, a song like that. And it's also, it's terrific because the, the dude is just, it reminds me of the, the Chris Cagle song. There was a Chris Cagle song years ago, um, what kind of gone? I think that was the name of it where it's like, oh, yeah. you don't know if she's gone for five minutes or if that's it. And, and, and the way that you just take that whole song and that whole concept and lay it out there, it, I'm, I'm sitting on that tailgate with that dude. Right. For sure. I, you know, I think when me and Jameson sat down to write that song, I had told him, I was like, let's write a song like, um, every light in the house is on by Trace hmm. Atkins. It's like, you know, that song is, is, it's a very sad song. Every Light in the House is on is a, is a very sad song, but it's also kind of comical. Um, the fact that this guy's going to turn every light in his house on just to let this girl know that he's still there and, and she can come back if she wants to. Um, and I wanted to write a song that was sad, but had kind of this comical element to it. And that's what I think we got with Why You're Gone is that this guy is so depressed and so sad that this girl has left that he is convincing himself that she is going to come back and he's just going to sit right here. He's going to drink his beer and he's going to wait for her to come back. And we never reveal whether or not she comes back. And really you don't know whether or not she comes back. Um, but I think deep down inside the, you know, the guy singing the song, he like, he knows she's not coming back, but he's, he's not willing to, to give in to that thought. And, and he's still going to convince himself that, that she might just come back. I'm sitting on a tailgate by the lake watching the sun go down. And this lucky strike buzz got me betting you're missing me bad right now. I ain't heard from you now or seen you around in two or three weeks. I can't tell if the joke's on you, girl, or if the joke's on me. Yeah, while you're out there looking for some kind of brand new star I'll just be kicking it with this BPPBR You're gonna come back with your backpack Missing me for too long, yeah I'll be right here drinking a beer, baby, while you're gone City lights in your eyes look 
So there was that kind of funny element that that this guy's going so crazy that he's just like, oh, she'll she'll be back, you know. Um, so that was kind of what we were chasing when we wrote that. And I, I I love being able to reference those '90s country songs, and again, because that's what I grew up on. And so um, that was a that was a fun one to write. And being a '90s country fan, how mind blowing was it for you to? find out that Brooks and Dunn were going to help out with uh, the, just the, one of Luke Combs' most fun tracks, One Too Many. I mean, that song is just, that's an ass kicker from start to finish. And then you get Brooks and Dunn in there, and it's just a whole other level. Yeah, so this is, that was, I mean, Luke, when we wrote it, Luke was like, man, what if what if we got Brooks and Dunn to sing on this thing? I was like, man, that'd be awesome. That would be incredible. And then, you know, nothing else was ever said about it. I remember one day a fan had sent me a uh, they had sent me a Brooks and Dunn like like an old Brooks and Dunn merch hat like just the most iconic Brooks and Dunn hat you can think of just big Brooks and Dunn letters across the front of the hat and a big Longhorn skull on it and I had just got that in the mail and I'm telling you I had literally just opened this box and pulled this hat out and a five to ten minutes later Luke Combs calls me and he actually FaceTimed me. And uh, I had put this hat on, and I'm, like, FaceTiming him, and I'm showing showing him the hat because I knew he collected hats like that. And he was like, do you already know? And I'm like, what are you talking about? He was like, dude, I was literally FaceTiming you to tell you that Brooks and Dunn is going to record one too many with me. And, man, I lost my marbles. I mean, <laughs> I'm the biggest – I'm a huge Brooks and Dunn fan. And so that was a just a super special moment, and I'll never forget where I was – um, when Luke sent me that song with them on it, and I got to listen to it for the first time in my truck, it, it was such a moment. And I mean, to be honest with you, I could just about have packed my bags and moved back to Georgia then because I did. I would have never thought life could get any better at that moment. <laughs> well, I got a call from Rowdy around six o'clock saying he called a hankering for a honky tonk. Wants a nice cold beer and a country song, but he didn't want to stay out all night. Once I turn it on There's no stopping me Once I get going Put a can in my hand Man, I'm wide ass open The tick-tock of that clock Is like a time bomb By half past ten I'm half past tipsy At quarter to twelve Man, I done had plenty The countdown's all in the first beer Hits me Five, four, three, two, one Two minutes Man, I can't thank you enough for taking a half hour here with me today. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. You know, I'm so blessed and, and fortunate to get to do what, what I get to do. And uh, to be able to provide for my family doing what I love to do is, I think that is truly the American dream, at least in my eyes it is. And I love country music. And so to get to do what I love to do and, and do it with country music is, is super special. And I hope I get to do it for a for a long time and uh, I hope that I get to continue playing shows and meeting fans that love country music as much as I do. I mean, it's got it's got to be incredible to just, you know, kind of reflect and think, hey, I could totally afford a mayonnaise and pineapple sandwich anytime I want. <laughs> yeah, it's nice. I think I might have to run to the store and get me some pineapple. <laughs> 
got my taste buds going here. I am. I swear to God, I'm going to try that by the end of this week. <laughs> right. I'm hold you to it. All right, man. Hey, thank you so much. Uh, it's been uh, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So what you say we shotgun one? Yeah, what you want with you, Luke? Come on, Ronnie. There's no stopping me once I get to go and put a can in my hand, man. I'm wide ass open. The tick-tock of that clock is like a time bomb. Yeah, my half past ten, I'm half past tipsy. A quarter to twelve, man, I don't have plenty. The countdown's on when the first beer hits me. Five, four, three, two, one, too many. That does it for this month's Write You a Song, which is produced at the studios of the 2021 CMA Large Market Station of the Year, KNCI in Sacramento, and distributed by our parent company, Bonneville International. Again, if you're new to this podcast, go back through the archives. There are so many A-list songwriters like Shane McAnally, Ross Copperman, Jesse Alexander, Liz Rose, Matresa Berg, Tim Nichols. If you're a creative person, it will expand your approach to your craft. Or if you just like great stories behind the songs from the people who wrote them, you'll enjoy it just as much. Hit the subscribe button, share it, and next month we've got another beast of a songwriter. In fact, it took about five months to book this guy, but it's been worth the wait. This is my Luke Laird, next time on Write You a Song.